Welcome to our Harvest Men of Valor podcast. This is Pastor Elijah. Uh, this week we'll be continuing in our study through the book of James in chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12. So, fellas, have you ever tried to break up a fight? Because there are some times when it goes really good. You know, you come back looking like a hero. You ran in and saved the day. But there, have you ever tried to break up a fight between friends or people in a relationship? Sometimes that could go bad. And I've heard many stories about people seeing a fight between two friends and they try to step in and help and end up getting jumped by the very person they tried to help. And you see, the problem is that there were friends who were fighting, that they have a relationship. And because their relationship with this other person is better than their relationship with you, you become the threat and it's all out war on you. Well, James, in chapter four, we see a situation where there are people who are fighting and they're at war because they have a friendly relationship with the world. They turn on God and end up at war with him as he's the one who's trying to break up the fight and bring them back. And well, James directly addresses the fighting and war going on in the church. And here he points out their rebellion. He rebukes them for it. He shows them how to repent. He reveals God's heart for restoration. And finally, he exhorts them to reciprocate God's love for them towards each other. Now let's read starting in James 4 verses 1 through 3. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desire for pleasure that war within your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and can't obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Well, in the first three verses, James jumps right into the conflict. He doesn't come and he does and take sides, but instead he asks a question, where do these wars come from? And he answers his own question with another question in the form of a conclusion. He answers and says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war within your members? Then he goes on to prove this conclusion by pointing out all their rebellious hearts. He says, you lust and you do not have. He says, you lust and do not have. And the lust he's talking about here isn't necessarily sexual lust, but it's more like a longing for something, like an unquenchable desire. Yet he points out that they don't have the thing that they've been longing and desire for. And then he tells them that they murder and covet and do not obtain. And most commentators believe he's using murder in the same way that Jesus used it back in Matthew 5, which is anger without cause. And we know that coveting is a desire of things that don't belong to you. So their desires for pleasure turned into murder of the heart, which caused wars and fights. So they're fighting and warring here. And James goes on to say, even though you desire these things and war over them, you do not have because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask wrongly. So he's basically saying because their hearts are rebellious, they either don't go to God for their request or they go to him with wrong motives. So their rebellion is corrupting their desire and it results in fighting and warring. James doesn't just point out the rebellion, but he rebukes them for it in his passage. Now, let's read James 4 verses 4 through 5. It says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think the scriptures say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? 
James is in rebuke mode right here. He starts off by calling them adulterers and adulteresses, which basically means that they were spiritually unfaithful. Then he goes on in verse four to say, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And he's telling them that they are cheating on God with this world. Now, the world here indicates a system of the world, not just the planet. And it's not saying that you can't have non-Christian friends, but it's speaking more about the wicked influence of the world, being in harmony with the rebellious nature or the way of the world. And they were acting like people who live like there was no God. And therefore, they were putting themselves at war with God. And see, you can't be in a healthy relationship with your wife if you're in an unhealthy relationship with another woman. And because if you are, you're fighting against your wife and you're at war with your marriage. And in the same way, when you are going to the world for all your desires and pleasures and needs, you are a spiritual adulterer and at war with God. And then it goes on to say that the spirit in us yearns jealously. And this is saying that God is jealous for us, that he wants us all to himself, just like a wife wants her husband all to herself. Now, that jealousy is anthropomorphic language. It's not like jealousy in a human way where there's anger and frustration. It often leads to uh, bad things happening. But James is using a fallible human term to describe an infallible God. See, the jealousy of God is a beautiful thing. It means that he desires you. He pursues you. He wants the best for you, that God wants us to come to him and him only. So he gives us what we need. So James pointed out their rebellion. Then he rebuked it. And now he's telling them that they need to repent of it. So James 4, 6 through 8, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And what James is saying here is God has offered his grace, but you must repent. In verse 6, he says, he gives more grace. And even though they're in rebellion, God still offers them more grace. And James kind of paraphrases Proverbs 3.34, where he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And see, it is the pride that keeps us from God. And that word resist used there, it can be translated as battles against. So the idea is that God is actively battling against the prideful person. But James tells them that you don't have to live at war with God. His grace has been extended to you. So James tells them how to end the war. He says, he says, therefore submit. And once you recognize that you're at war with God, the first step of repentance is submission. And submission is the action or accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. And God wants you to yield to him. You see, in the Christian life, one of the greatest victories comes after we surrender to God. It's victory through our surrender. See, as Christians, as long as we're fighting against God, we cannot truly walk in victory. So the first step of repentance is surrender. So James goes on in verse 7 and he says, resist the devil and he will flee. And see, rebellion is resisting God and submitting to Satan, while James is saying submit to God and resist Satan. And just like God is constantly pursuing the Christian, Satan and his demons are also constantly pursuing us. So James prescribes the solution. He says, resist the devil and he will flee. You see, if you resist God, he will fight you until you submit. But if you resist the devil, he will flee when you don't submit. So submit to God and resist the devil. 
Next, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And what James is doing here is he's exhorting the believers to actively move towards God. In verse 8, he says, draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And if I were to define repentance, I would define it as a change of mind that results in a change of action. A change of mind that results in a change of action. And if you look up Romans 12, 1 and 2, I would go over it um, right now, but we don't have a lot of time. So look that up. It describes submission and renewal. It talks about how we offer our bodies as living sacrifice, which is surrender. We renew our minds, which is that cleansing and that washing of the mind. And see, if repentance is a change of mind. It causes us to see things the way that God sees them. And when we see things the way that God sees them, we ultimately change the way we act towards these things. See, when James says, draw near to God, he will draw near to you and cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. James is saying, get close to God and get out of the system of the world. Be done with the world. Stop conforming. Get out of the mud and stop living in two worlds, you double-minded person. And God is not a part of this worldly system. And the more you are a part of that worldly system, the further away from God you are. God doesn't live in those two worlds. So he says, clean up and purify yourselves. Now that double-minded man, they think that he can have a wife and a side chick. And no, that's adultery. You don't get a wife and a side chick. You need to end that relationship with the side chick also known as the world, and return to your spouse, who is the Lord. Or if some of you guys are in adultery out there, you need to really end that relationship with the side chick and return to your spouse. You need to renew that double mind. Draw close to God. Wash those dirty hands. Stop living a double life. And I'll say it like we used to say back in the hood as new believers when one of our friends was struggling. We used to tell him, get in your word, homie. Move where God is moving. And hopefully that makes sense. But honestly, I just had to move on because I'm just taking up too much time. So James pointed out their rebellion. He rebuked them. He called them to repentance. And now he gives them insight into what the Lord will do. And that brings us to um, what the Lord is going to do, which is restoration. In James 4, 10, it says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. See, surrender, it takes humility. It takes a recognition of who we are in light of who God is for us to be restored. It takes falling into the gracious hands of God for us to be lifted by his strong arms of mercy. And if you look at verse 9, it says, lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And it's by the lament of our sins, the mourning of our gloomy condition, that we realize that we need something outside of ourselves. And that something outside of ourselves is God. And brothers, it's so much less heartache to humble ourselves than it is to be humbled by God. So James pointed out their rebellion. He rebuked them. He called them to repentance. He let them know the Lord will restore them. So I'll call this last part the reciprocation. See, after a believer has repented and has been restored, what should his attitude be towards his brethren, his fellow believer? See, we should reciprocate the actions and attitude of God to each other, meaning that we should act with grace towards our brothers. James 4, 11 through 12 says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy 
who are you to judge another? Now, this is talking about slander and condemnation. And a lot of this stuff about slander was covered in James chapter 3. But I want to remind us that the way that we talk to each other should reflect the heart of God towards us. And if someone is in sin, of course, James isn't saying that you can't confront or get advice about how to handle it. But it's always, if you're going to get advice, make sure you go to someone who is mature, not someone who's going to be um, jumping on your side or gossiping or those type of things. Talk to a spiritual leader, someone mature in the Lord that you can trust. And if you have issues, we do need to call each other out on our, um, on our sin. But if you have issues with that and you don't know what to do, read Matthew chapter 18 about how to approach a brother who's in sin. It's talking about condemnation here. It's not talking about calling someone out on the sin. It's talking about condemning them, judging their hearts, saying to them, you're not a Christian. It doesn't mean you shouldn't discern between right and wrong. It means don't walk around with a gavel and a robe passing final judgment on people like you're guilty. You're guilty. See, we should reciprocate the love God has given us to each other. And that alone would eliminate most of the fights and wars that we have in the church. And I want to, I would love to just jump in here because I know people are fighting in the church right now, uh, but I don't have the time. But James also tells us, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law, judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now you're probably wondering, what does it mean when he says, he who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law? I think there's two ways you can look at it. I think if you look at it in the context of a church made up of mostly Jewish believers, you'll see that a lot of these people came out of the Jewish church and they had a habit of interpreting God's law in a way to make it fit their agenda. And Jesus dealt with that a lot in the gospel. They judged the law by the way that they interpreted it and they wanted to use it against God's people. But the law is not there for us to use as a sword against others. It's there for us to examine ourselves and ultimately point us to Christ. The other way you can look at this passage is it's someone who has a judgmental heart towards a fellow believer. They ignore the law and put themselves above the law. But however you interpret it, it ends this section by saying, there's only one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? And it's basically saying you are not God. He is the one who saves people. And he's the one who judges and destroys people. So we can conclude that God could have condemned us to hell. But instead, he showed us grace. The people who were fighting against him. He showed us grace. That grace of God that we have, that he shows us every day, is enough to end every war and fight we have in the church. Now I'm going to give you guys four quick takeaways. The first one is rebellion is in man's heart. And all of us need to be mindful of this. Our hearts are wicked. Number two, rebuke will help us recognize it. And we should call out our rebellion. Hopefully we see it in ourselves. But if a brother comes and calls out the rebellion in your heart, look, humble yourself and uh, receive it. And if you receive it, there's repentance. It's the first step towards moving away from that rebellion. It's submitting to God. Humble yourself. Submit to God. And then number three, restoration is God's gift to those who humble themselves. And number four is restoration is God's gift to those who humble themselves and submit. And the fifth and final takeaway is reciprocate what God has done for you towards others. Show that love of God towards each other. And remember, brothers, if we're at war with one another, the first person that we need to examine is ourselves. So I exhort you all to walk in truth, humility, and grace 
And that's all I got for you. But if you want to study these things deeper, I want to encourage you guys to join a Harvest small group. You can join a men's, women's, couples, or co-ed group at harvest.church forward slash groups. And once again, you're listening to our Harvest Men of Valor podcast. This is Pastor Elijah. God bless you guys.